Hey there, Cool Room listeners, it's David here, and before we get underway with today's episode, we have a little ad. Actually, it's an ad looking for ads. No, we're not asking for money so that you can advertise quality mattresses or razors or any of those other sorts of things that seem to get advertised on podcasts these days. What we're looking for is other fun podcasts that would like to share a 30-second ad with our listeners, letting everyone know what's so great about them, and who in return will let us share a 30-second ad for The Cool Room. We know that right now there's a whole lot of people who are looking for fun new podcasts to listen to to help them while away their isolation hours. So if you've got something to share, drop us a line via our Facebook or Instagram accounts. Righto, ad over. Hello and you're in the cool room. Uh, thank you for tuning in today on your podcast medias. Um, if you haven't already rated and reviewed us on iTunes or however you listen to us, please do so. And if you haven't followed us on uh, Facebook and on Instagram, please do that as well. It just helps us to get the message out there to people that we exist and um, obviously gets small listeners. Um, in the cool room with me today... Uh, is uh, Travis Bristow, who people from uh, last week's episode will, who listened to last week's episode, will remember. G'day, Travis. Hey, guys. How are you going? I'm, I'm well. And um, introducing straight away as well, uh, Tom Streeter, who's one of the owners of the Prince Alfred in Port Melbourne. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, David. G'day. Um, before we get any further underway, uh, Tom, do you want to share the socials of the... Prince Alfred, just so that people who want to learn more about you and what you do can make sure they can track you down. Yeah, sure. Facebook or Insta, just forward slash the Prince Alfred Hotel. Nice and easy. Excellent. Not not Prince Albert. That would be the other thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you never know what you'd do if you type that into Instagram. (laughs) Uh, As regular listeners will know, we've got some traditional cool room questions and we might sort of kick off with some of those for you, Tom, and... um, We'll introduce people, uh, introduce you to people through that process, if that's all right. Beautiful. Um, the first one, and we always sort of preface this by saying, uh, you know, that it's not a delicate drink. We want to know when and where you had your first beer or your first drink, which really means the first one you regret having, the, that memorable big first big drink. Yeah, yeah. I reckon um, I'd have to, I'd have to cop to it being, and I can't remember if it was Carlton Cold or Han Ice, but it was one of those horrible <laughs> cold filtered things. And uh, it was in a, the backyard of a mate named Ronnie Welsh and then hashed on for, for hours and made a spectacle of myself with a, with a girl named Denise. Hor- horribly embarrassing and, and the first of many <laughs> horribly embarrassing incidents involving beer. Shout out to Denise if you're listening to that. I presume she's not. No, it doesn't, doesn't seem like the type. <laughs> and um, I suppose moving on from the, the depths of Carlton Cold, which I remember all too well, and Han Ice, um, first craft beer you had. So, you know, we, we know at the Prince Alfred there's all sorts of delicious craft beers on tap. What was the first craft beer that you had and what started you down the road to enjoying craft beers? Yeah, it, look, it was probably something like a, a James Squire 150 Lashes. I, I still, you know, still get people coming and asking for that uh, every day. It was, it was, I suppose a lot of people's first foray into craft beer and they, they like to mispronounce it as a hundred lashes or a 50 lashes or whatever it is, but I reckon <laughs> it's probably that. 
And then probably probably my first ever probably independent craft beer was a, a Two Birds Sunset Ale, which I, I bought in a bottle shop in in Brisbane a few years ago, long long before Two Birds probably had any business being in a bottle shop in, in Brisbane. <laughs> um, I remember I remember having the beer and and my wife hated it, which was wonderful because it meant that I was going to get to drink the whole slab. And I I took a picture of the 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 beer was like a nice amber coloured thing and, and I was sitting on a veranda with the sun setting and it was in the background and I, I tweeted them and they uh, and they tweeted me back and maybe that was probably my first connection with, with proper indie craft. The sunset's one of those beers that I think probably occupies that space for a lot of people that it's, um, a, it was a really approachable beer without sort of you know being sort of too over the top in hoppiness or any of those sort of flavours that can be a bit confronting for a first time craft beer drinker. Yeah that's it. Interesting that you found it in Brisbane, though. Yeah, you know, I think it might have been like a celebrations of all things too. Yeah, it was wow. just at the end of the, end of the street that I lived in, and um, you know, probably had had just had those first few experiences with the with the lashes, and then thought I'll I'll step things up a notch here and, and get really really adventurous. And yeah, buy, buying a whole slab was probably probably a bit of a leap of faith, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Never tried, but, um, yeah, yeah. You so were committed at that stage. Grove in Brisbane. Nice, very good. And as uh, we always like to find out where people enjoy having beers, whether, you know, in Melbourne or Brisbane or wherever, you know, was, it, was there somewhere special up in Brisbane that once you'd started down the craft beer road that, you know, you enjoyed drinking up there or was it um, very much still a drinking from home type of experience up there? Yeah, well, well-known fact about Brisbane is that the supermarkets own all the pubs in, in Brizzy. So they're, they're predominantly Pokies Palaces selling skewies of Carlton Dry. Um, so I don't, I don't have heaps of fond memories of Brizzy pubs, but soon, I've been in Melbourne for five years now, sort of fallen in love with, with the pubs around around Richmond, places like oh, the Royston and the, and the Cherry Tree, probably the ones that I, I go to, whether I'm looking for a, a beer or a bit of inspiration for, for Prince Alfred. Very good. The cherry Tree certainly gets a lot of mentions along the way. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. But what about it gives you inspiration, I guess, is sort of worth knowing or from any of those sort of places what's the yeah do you know what it's 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 probably no one tangible thing for me it's and it, it's one of those really probably hard to define and then hard to replicate things that that makes them successful and it's it's the feel that that I get as a punter when I go in there it, it feels like the right sort of pub that I want to be having a beer in and that's probably made up of a heap of stuff the the people behind the bar the, the look and feel of the the aesthetic of the venue the products that they're selling um you know, I think when, when all those things are packaged together and it's done well, um, you can feel when it's right, but you can't necessarily sort of work out which which one particular factor it might be that's that's really making that your favourite watering hole of the minute. Awesome. Yeah, totally fair answer. Is there anywhere that's closed now that you sort of look back on fondly, whether it's Melbourne or somewhere else that, you know, you, you sort of wish was still a pub that you could go to or a bar that you could go to? No, not... Not a particular venue that I can think of, but a, but a particular category of venue, which is just good, honest watering holes that are that that sort of community focal point or a, or a bit of a hub where people get together. There's there's a lot of pretense about the pubs that people drink in. I think in sort of 2020, and, and I, I suppose I yearn for a time when pubs were were a bit simpler, and the you know the people that were in in and around the place really really cared about it because they loved it and they owned it and they and they worked it every day the way that we do. Um, I think there's a there's a lot to be to be said for those types of venues of, of yesteryear that you know we don't we don't see heaps of today. There's, there's you know it's all about being a bit a bit flash and a bit spectacular as opposed to just a, a bit honest and hardworking. I'm sure, you over in Port Melbourne, you know that's certainly the case around northwest Melbourne, but 
Port Melbourne, you'd have seen the same process happening, that a whole lot of old school pubs are very much zhuzhied up now and, you know, the old regulars you don't see around as much. Is that a technical term, zhuzhied up? Zhuzhing yeah, up. I, I think so. I'm not sure it's in the Oxford Dictionary, but, you know. <laughs> you still have a few regulars, though, Tom, that I've seen every now and again that perched at your bar, I think. Um, oh, prop, proper barflies, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we love them. Um, and, and we, we don't say bar flies with, with any malice. We, it's a it's a term of endearment. To be to be included in in that in that illustrious group is is um something that they they really celebrate. And they they really are the lifeblood of the joint. They they come down and they sit at the bar all afternoon and they and they drink beer. And then if something needs fixing, you know, half of them are half of them are qualified tradies, and they'll you know, they'll just bring a tool bag in one afternoon and and fix that that thing that's been bugging me for a couple of weeks. And you know, the, the deal is done with a a couple of free pots and away they go. Good, good fellas. Nice. Yeah, it's yep. like barflies who know how to do sound engineering. They're invaluable, aren't they, Travis? Yeah, something like that. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I have a few pubs where I'm on barfly at now. So, um, talking to two of the people where I probably frequent more regularly than anywhere else. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll call upon you next time. I've got a little. A funny little buzz coming through the PA, mate. You can be there all yeah, afternoon. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And Tom, how about overseas? Are you much of an overseas traveller? It doesn't even need to be a bar or a pub. It could be a beach or a rainforest or a mountaintop. Anywhere that you've, yeah. you particularly remember having a good beer or a good wine or whatever it might be. Yeah, last few overseas trips have all been to the UK. Um, and, and I suppose that the observation there is a, as a person who went to the UK 10, 10 years ago and, and then has gone back three or four times in the last few years is the same as we've seen here in Melbourne and, and the rest of Australia, a real proliferation of, of independent small small batch um, beers that are really localised. I, I know sort of travelling the west coast of Scotland, every town that we stopped in seemed to have its own small independent craft brewery. Driving through the, the, the backwaters of Sussex and Surrey for a, a wedding a year ago, you know, finding a, a little craft beer bar in a, in a a hamlet called Crittenden and finding that it had you know, 20 different beers on tap, all, all mm. produced about 100 miles and, and another 100 or so in the fridge and, and predominantly, again, sort of really locally produced. So um, it, is, it is one of the great pleasures of, of travelling overseas, find, finding those little watering holes that have got those, um, you know, huge selections of, of great beer. Did you make it to the wedding? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the wedding was actually just down the road from a, a brewery that we found that didn't have its own sort of it didn't have a, a bar or a retail operation, but we um we emptied out some two litre milk bottles and took them down to the brewery and they were they were happy to fill them. So I was I was part of the bridal party on that one and we were we were there for a day or so prior setting up and, and just getting really, really pissed on um on the, the beers that we bought from the brewery down the road each night. Two litre milk bottles, eh? There's a theme we might return to as the as the podcast goes on. <laughs> yeah, possibly. The, uh, the the fifth of our traditional cool room questions is uh, experiences in an actual cool room, which is one of those things that people who are not part of hospo life uh, don't necessarily understand what goes on in the, I was going to say dark, not always dark, although sometimes dark at the depths of a cool room. <laughs> Always like to know what is the strangest or most disturbing sort of thing that people have experienced in a in a cool room during their time in in hospitality. Do you have any sort of? Yeah, I've got a, I've got one that goes. Well, I've got a couple actually. One that I'm sure a lot of people have had when they they've been in a in a cellar or a cool room with with the 
the grizzled old Sellerman who's been doing it for a long time and he and he takes a heap of pleasure in showing you the, the puncture wounds in the, in the <laughs> ceiling of the cool room where you know the, the spears used to pop out and, and potentially you know take it take an eye out or or worse um mm. that being a, a bit of an eye-opener for cool room safety but my, my very first ever pub job was a place called coakley's hotel on, on high street in frio and coakley's was one of those wonderful skimpy pubs that i don't think probably exist anywhere in the world anymore with a you know the, the girls would wear a bikini behind the bar and you could flip a two dollar coin and if you got it between their um their bikini, they'd, they'd flash you their boobs. But I remember going in to, to change a keg one afternoon. You can cut this out if you like, if it's a bit too... <laughs> I don't know. We, a couple of weeks ago, we had someone who actually used to work in one of those, although she worked in the other part of the bar where she wasn't topless, which apparently caused much, you know, unhappiness with the local punters when she had to go in and get the change or something like that. <laughs> well, shout, out, shout out, Naomi, if you're listening. <laughs> I um, Well, I was in the, in the cool room being shown how to change a keg by a bikini-clad colleague and, and she thought that would be the ideal time to flash her boobs at me as, a, as an 18 year old boy you can imagine just how pleased and horrified I was all at the same time um absolutely froze on the on the spot and uh, yeah I, was, and, I don't know I don't know what question to ask as a follow-up to that one well the, the thing is I, I was never rostered to work until about 6 37 o'clock at night when the, the skimpies finished and the live band start but you can imagine how punctual an 18 year old boy is um <laughs> If, you know, if he rocks up to work an hour early and gets gets that sort of treatment, so that that was probably my yeah my most unusual thing in a pub cool room. That's a pretty good pub cool room story. I'm I'm pretty happy with that one in comparison to all the others we've heard. <laughs> yeah, this, this pub was a ripper. It was a, a family owned pub that um, the dad was an old stager who could he'd have a, a, a seven ounce Carlton draft sitting on the bar at just about every table around the pub, and he'd be on in fourteen different shouts. And, and he, he'd walk upstairs at the end of his evening looking like he hadn't hadn't had a single one. The, the sun was the opposite story. You just have to open a stubby near him and he was he was three quarters pissed. And at the end of the night, he'd always fall up the stairs, spilling change everywhere. And you know, <laughs> um, that, that was that was just the, the, the Coakley's Hotel way. All so, stuff. so t- tell us about your journey from, you know, first experiences in a cool room, learning how to change a keg and other related matters to... To actually owning a pub was it a was it a straight have you always been in hospital life along the way or have you gone and done other bits and pieces in between yeah pretty pretty much the whole way through i the, this job at coakley's was my first and i remember going in there one afternoon and, and lying about all the, the bar experience that i had to to get a start as an 18 year old kid um and then yeah pretty pretty much in and out of hospital management jobs the you know the, the 20 years since then and it was about four years ago now that I had a, actually had my, my only ever nine to five desk job. Um, I was sort of yearning for a bit of a bit of hospital life again and started scrolling through pub sales websites. And mm. um, yeah, this this one popped up and, and then, you know went went through the the process and here we are four years later as as publicans. So um, can you can you tell us a bit about that process? Because the whole lot of people who listen to this sort of a are not necessarily in, they might be working in hospital, but have no idea how you'd go about choosing a pub or buying a pub or the kind of things you might have to do when you first get your hands on one. Um, you know, can you talk us through that process a bit? What, I guess, why the Prince Alfred first and foremost? Yeah, what was it? well, the, the, the first step in the process is is getting the necessary approvals at home to to go and punt your life savings on a, on a little pub on Bay Street in Port Melbourne. This um, is true, I understand. Yeah, you might have been through something similar. She, she wasn't immediately in favour, but, but is ultimately supportive and, and has 
has has been so ever since. Um, you know, even even the first twelve months or so, when when the pub was really shit, you never rubbed my nose in it and said, you know, "You're an idiot for for buying this little pub." The the process was was kind of along the lines of, of any time you're going out shopping for a significant purchase, you're looking for you're looking for a bit of value for money. You're looking for things that are within the budget that you've set for yourself. Um, and I suppose a little bit like that whole, you know, why do I like the cherry tree? The, the place just had the right feel. I, I knew, you know, it was a pub that wasn't performing really well at the time, but I, I knew when I walked in that there was something about it that could be made to be great. And it could, you know, through, through our experiences as, as pub punters and, and my experience as a pub manager, we could apply some of those things and, and turn the Prince Alfred into, I suppose, a little bit of that, that north side, you know, pub, pub ethic into a, a Bayside location. Um, in terms of the, God, the the process of purchasing a pub, it was a massive eye opener in terms of the you know the involvement of accountants and lawyers and the and the tens of thousands of dollars of fees you pay out before, before yeah. you even before you even sign the contract and and buy the pub and then some of the the surprises and shocks that come through once you once you sign that lease and um, you know oh by the way you have to put three months rent in a in a term deposit account as a as a bond for the for the landlord, and you thought well, that that was the forty thousand dollars that I was going to use as our operating cash flow <laughs> to, to yep. three months. I'm going to have to go to my mum and dad and ask for ask for a few more dollars to to get us through. Um, and then I'm, I'm nodding like the person who stands behind the premier in a press briefing at the moment. I'm just I'm just <laughs> nodding furiously to everything you say. Oh, and then when you get in there, and there's you know you've bought this thing that's a a, a lease and a liquor license and a, and a list of goods and chattels that apparently all worked. Uh, the day before you sign the contract, but the point of sale system that's about to fall to pieces, the the combi oven that's that's 22 years old and, and has never been serviced, and you realise that the repair and repairs and replacements bill in the first 12 months is is going to be 10 times what you could possibly have imagined it was going to be, and you and you've got no bloody money to do it with, so you you band aid things up and make them work for a, a little bit longer, um, and then you get your first rent bill and that's fine, and then you get your first outgoings bill and you think. Why the fuck am I paying the rates, the insurance, the everything, the everything? You know, what I thought was the rent is only about three quarters of the rent. The other quarter is is uh, is outgoings, and I'm you know I'm going to have to adjust all the budgets and forecasts that we've done to um, and see if this thing still stacks up. So yeah, in interesting interesting first twelve months to say the least. Now four years later, look at that. Yeah, we're we're all right now. The the the, the four year mark is. Is, is sort of approaching now and it, it was an interesting observation that we made about 12 months in that it, it doesn't take long to fix a pub but you know if, if there's a few things there's a, you know, a bit of low-hanging fruit in terms of customer service and the um the ambience or the the aesthetic of the pub and the products that you're selling that you can fix all those pretty quickly it's changing local perception that's the that's the long game you've got to be good visit after visit for, for lots and lots of months in a row before people will start saying positive things to their mates in the in the local catchment and say, "Oh, yeah, you should give give Prince Alfred a go. It's it's all right now." Um, you know, and I still have people say to my face, "Oh, you know, I don't mind this place, but I wouldn't eat here." <laughs> when, when was the last time you did? Oh, yeah, four years ago. Okay, <laughs> reckon you could give another try. Um, yeah, so interesting four years. Which is interesting given the location of Port Melbourne in relation to craft beer, because you guys are very crafty in relation to where you are based on Bay Street there. That must have been an interesting slog sort of changing the perception of the regular Port Melbourne crowd. Um, 
to get them into that sort of craft beer mindset and yeah, change the way they sort of looked at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you know what we? We always have a Carlton tap, no matter how, how crafty we are. And, and I think of any group of four people wandering the streets of Melbourne looking for a pub to drink in, it's, it's, it's reasonably likely that at least one of them will be a pretty staunch, regular beer kind of, kind of drinker. So we, we make sure that that person's satisfied. We, we started the process with beers like 150 Lashes and Kosciuszko and, um, you know, White Rabbit Dark Ale, brand, brands that people in Port Melbourne were comfortable with and, and had heard of, even if they, they might not have sort of invested in a six pack at the at the local bottle shop but um you know we, we kept three or four taps free for for the indies and we and we supported people like bridge road and, and moondog and that sort of thing early on and then as the as time progressed and we just gradually introduced more, more stuff made by independent brewers and you know sneak in a double ipa here and there and, and test the waters and see you know if it's a if it's a one week keg or if it's a three week keg and um yeah the the, the big the big surge in popularity of sour beers at you know 18 months ago leading into last summer and you know, we started with one token sour tap and when that was a couple of kegs a week we could introduce a, a second and a third and um yeah it has been an interesting progression from yeah, yeah sort of yeah as i say lashes to um, the sort of stuff that we have on we have on now and, and even now during during this sort of takeaway food and beer stage that we're in uh, you know I suppose because times are uncertain, I'm trying to keep the beer range reasonably simple for people so they can, you know, every, everything in life's a bit topsy-turvy, but if, if they walk in, they can always get a Young Henry's Newtowner because it's just one of those good take-home in a, in a bottle and session on it by yourself type of beers. But, um, you know, st still trying to strike that balance and make sure that at least once a week we're tapping something new and interesting that'll, um, you know, keep, keep the, uh, the more adventurous beer drinker coming in and, and checking out what we've got. What would be your favourite couple of craft beers that you've had on tap in the last year or so? You know, it doesn't have to be the more mainstream ones, the ones that you personally really enjoyed. Yeah, uh, do you know, again, I'll mention Young Henry's. They're, they're rum and raisin brown ale, rumming with the devil. It, it immediately comes to mind as, as my mm. favourite probably the last 12 months. Um, just about anything that comes out of a barrel at Boat Rocker, whether it's K's for Kingsley or House Red or, or House White, um, and if you haven't done the, the hundred and twenty odd dollar Uber round trip to to Brayside and back, um, it's actually it's actually worth the hundred and twenty odd dollar Uber round trip and back to go to Brayside and, and try them try them at their place. It really um, is. It's a fantastic facility they've yeah. got out there. Yeah, yeah, cool and and awesome awesome beers. They they don't get too much wrong, do they? Um, I reckon when when Moo Brew started getting a bit adventurous and doing some limited release stuff, um, you know, as much as their core range beers are great, the the red IPA that they did, um, geez, must have been about this time last year. It might be, it might be due another batch of it um, as we head into winter. That was that was probably one of the standouts for me as well. But which I was talking, David and I were talking last night about this in relation to how many pubs in Melbourne in general have sort of moved on tap these days, and they're very few and far between. You guys always seem to have at least one mover on tap doing the rounds. Would that be pretty accurate? Like. It's nearly yeah, always yeah, on. Trav Trav is a, a pretty good mate and 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 a reasonably handy basketballer who fills in for my team when we're short. So I think he's <laughs> sweet. Um, he, but Mubu Pilsen is one of those core beers that I talked about, where we, we try to have certain things on all the time, so that even if you're not um, an out there adventurous craft drinker, if you just want to come in and drink good beer, it will be available every time you come in. Mubu Pilsen is always there. Um, 
he seems to have a handy knack of selling you whatever whatever he comes in and tells me is the sort of latest limited release one. Um, so yeah, we've got I think out of our, our seven beers at the moment, we've got we've got two of his on, two of sorry, two of theirs on. I think we had the uh, the XPA last night in a two liter milk bottle takeaway. So is that one of the ones that people are enjoying yeah. at the moment? Yeah, that was their collaboration with Brugger. Um, extra extra watery pale ale, so um, donating proceeds to clean drinking water in Malawi in Africa. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it was delicious as well as going to a good cause. <laughs> warm and fuzzy, and then after a litre, warmer and fuzzier. <laughs> yeah, Certainly fuzzier. <laughs> <laughs> well, the keg didn't last long. Actually, even even in these funny times where where we're not selling as much beer, the the the, ex, the Mubru, XWPA went on and, and, and was gone about three days later. So the pubs must have liked it. It's a, look, I, I suppose that, you know, for people who are listening on the day that the podcast comes out, they'll be well aware that we're sort of recording in the middle of the coronavirus outbreak and the impact of that on hospitality. But who knows, people might be listening in a year and hopefully that's all, all passed by the time they're listening. I guess I'm interested, you know, in hearing your reflections on what you've had to change and some of those innovations, such as serving the growlers and things, you know, how have you adapted your business to the times in which we live? And do you see any sort of long-term changes that you reckon, you know, the corona outbreak might have on hospitality in Melbourne? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the obvious change is that we're, we're not able to open and, and do the thing that we do, which is providing a, a pub for, for locals to come and have a, a drink in. And, like like anyone who owns or operates or manages a pub or, or even works in a pub, we, we were gutted the night that the announcement was made, but not not entirely surprised, I suppose. Um, the the priority in the first week, we we had like like every pub, we had perishable food in the kitchen. We had kegs that were tapped, and we thought, well, our best chance is is operating as a as a takeaway vendor and and making sure that those perishable items get converted into into dollars in the bank rather than having to get poured down the sink and thrown in the bin. So we we started that week with a, a really short-term mindset. It was just going to be as, as things ran out, well, well they were gone and, and we wouldn't tap any more. And um, it was sort of the Wednesday of that that first week that we were we were down to only having a couple of a couple of beers left on. And I thought, well, people are going to stop coming if, if all they can get is the, you know, well, I think it was a, a porter and a um, and a lager, let's say, and all the all the IPAs and all the pale ales and all the, the other beers were gone. But we'll, you know, they're going to stop coming. But look, we've actually done reasonably well in terms of takeaway sales. So we'll, we'll tap a few more kegs. And then a mate of mine who's got a cold brew coffee business, shout out to As at Hit Point Coffee, if anyone wants to, to look them up. He um, he brought down some of the, the one litre glass milk bottles that they package their product. And he said, oh, you know, I've got these in the garage. There's, there's only about 50 of them, but but here you go, they're, they're yours. So they were, they were a nice little donation. And it meant that as people came through who didn't have their own growler or takeaway container we didn't miss out on the sale but those 50 went pretty promptly you know a day or so later they were all gone and found ourselves driving out to Campbellfield which is way out in the sort of northwest of Melbourne to, to Plastine and, and buying another another 200 of these one litre glass milk bottles and people just come in and they they cost us a couple of bucks each we, we on sell them for a couple of bucks each um, you know, we, we bought 200 of them at the start of last week and we're, we're down to our last 20 or 30. So I think after the Easter long weekend, we'll be, we'll be jetting off to, to Campbellfield to buy another another couple of hundred. And, what, and while it hasn't replaced the, the sales that we would normally enjoy in terms of people sitting there and, and drinking, drinking pints of beer and, um, you know, buying burgers and palmas to, to 
consume in the pub, at least it's given us some some cash flow coming through the door. And um, you know, obviously, we went through the process of, of reducing all the non non essential expenses, and you know, we're not paying for things like live music and Foxtel, and we've we've gone to our gone to the, the landlord and the gas and energy companies and, and you know, begged for for reductions in expenses. So that there is there is a business model there that that probably doesn't stack up and break even. And, but it certainly makes some contribution to to paying the bills and keeping the door open and making sure that when when this all comes to an end, whether it's God, whether it's May or June or September or, or whatever it is, um, I think we're giving ourselves an even money chance of still being open and trading and still having some cash flow and not having a, a massive a massive rent liability um, that you know we'll be forever paying off throughout the the life of the lease. Um, and then of course the job keeper initiatives come through and it's it's brought a few of our crew back to work, the, the ones that qualify. So that takes us back to a seven day a week operation and, and sort of here, here we are in this this third week with, you know, it's almost good news to, to you know, to sort of look and say, well, may, maybe we're going to make it out the other side of this in one piece and, and still have a pub that's, you know, A, open and uh, and B, still got some connections with, with the local market and, you know, giving people a, a reason to to come out of their house each night and grab a couple of litres of beer and, and some pub food. Hmm. Do you reckon some pubs and or other hospitality places are going to struggle to reopen, you know, whenever the, whenever that time might be? Yeah, I think I think there'd be lots of businesses, not not just in, in our category, that, that are in a, a difficult position when it comes time to, to reopen. I think, um, and I think all of us, including us, will, you know, going to be in a, in a diminished position to what we were i don't think there's going to be the I think the tap suddenly going to get turned back on and full bore in terms of trade you know there was something in the paper this morning about you know the things that got shut down first will probably get reopened last so pubs yeah pubs might be in that category i think in terms of where we're allowed to come and, and gather and and socialize so um yeah i reckon it's i reckon it's going to be a bit tough i think um you know, if there's anything that might be a long-standing change out of this for us it'll, it'll be the availability of, of draft beer to take home for people, um, but I, I am just looking forward to having the having the pub back to normal. I was I was uh, indulging in some reminiscing this afternoon, just scrolling through some some photos that we posted, you know, in, in the pub and on the deck, and people enjoying each other's company and a bite to eat and a and a beer, um, sort of just longing for that time to return. I, I look forward to a time when you know our pub and all the other pubs get to reopen and and do that do that again with our punters. And I suppose let's let's uh, explain to people why it is that you're on the call room today. It's because we're in the process of moving some of the kegs from the Royal Mail over to uh, over to the uh, Prince Alfred, so that your punters can enjoy them. Do you just want to run people through what you've got at the moment on tap, just to give people a bit of a flavour of what they can get, and just as importantly, the prices, because the prices that you're selling a litre of beer for at the moment are incredibly cheap for the kind of beers that you're selling. Yeah, so our pricing approach, or what we're trying to achieve, is that whatever we would have sold a pint of, or a pint at, is what we're selling a litre at. So, if you were paying twelve dollars for a pint of a basic pale ale or a lager, then you can you can take a litre of that away. Um, you know, if you were paying fifteen or sixteen dollars for something more exotic, well, that's that's the per litre price. Um, the beers that we have at the moment are the sorts of things that we we typically have on here. We've got, uh, Young Henry's New Town of Payer, we've got Newbury's Pilsner. Um, we've got a, a porter from Bridge Road. We've got a session IPA 
from fixation. And, and they're all coming in, as I said, between sort of $12 and $15. We've, we've been able to buy a couple of really cheap kegs um, from, from beer suppliers and, and from other pubs. So we were able to do a $10 a litre beer at the moment. And that's a, a nice little headline offer to, to advertise out there for us. So we're, we're making sure that when people walk past, they see a blackboard out the front that says tap beer from $10 a litre. Um, you know, we, we've got some some interesting stuff coming. Sort of, the, the new normal seems to be driving across the suburbs, loading kegs of beer from other pubs into the back of my station wagon, <laughs> here and um, getting them down the hatch and getting them tapped up. So we, we're going to do that with the um, with the Royal Mail, and um, you know, I'll, I'll, I suppose I'll put it out there for anyone who's listening and wants to wants to move some stock that's sitting in your cellar that you can't get a credit for. We'll um, we're happy, we're happy to come and help out and take some stock off your hands. It's quite genuinely a big, you know, relief for me to see some some beers that are pretty amazing, but which I know aren't going to last, you know, if we're locked down for six months. I'd hate to see things. We've got a, a lemon passion fruit sour from Fury and uh, some other fun things like that, that, you know, it's not even about making the money back for them. It's just you don't want to see a good beer go to waste. Yep. Yeah. And I've had that same, I've had that same reaction from a, a few guys where I've, I've sort of said, "Oh, what have you got?" And they've, they've said, "Oh, take take this because it's it's going to be it's going to be an epic beer." And, and I didn't even get a chance to tap it, and I'm I'm really keen to see see how it drinks on tap. So, um, yeah, happy to provide that little community service for forlorn publicans who can't drink the beer that they were hoping to tap this week in their own joint. And um, I'm looking forward. My little plug for me, for me at this end is that I'm looking forward to drinking the uh, Bridge Road Porter that you were just describing. Uh, I've got my one litre sitting in the fridge for the virtual front bar that the cool room does in association with the Royal Mail at five thirty every Thursday. Check our Facebook pages and so forth for that. So, um, Tom, do you just want to give us one more little spiel of how, of where people find you, both physically and online, so that we can make sure that we can get in touch with you and punters can come over and enjoy those beers. Hang on just a second, I will, because I've, I've just got a bloke knocking at the front door. I'm just going to unlock it for him. It's been we a while since we've had a... No, 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 we'll leave it in. We can talk amongst ourselves. Travis, how are you doing, no, no. mate? I'm actually whatever. wishing I had got a uh, leader of that robust yeah. porter as well. Uh, you can find us at 355 Bay Street, Port Melbourne, at www.princealfred.pub, at all the socials forward slash the Prince Alfred Hotel. And... Uh, it's, uh, it's an essential reason to travel. So even if you don't live in Port Melbourne, if you want to drive across the suburbs and, and come and pick up a, a couple of litres of beer and a couple of burgers or a couple of palmas, you can phone ahead and order or um, you can just cruise in and, and order at the time and we'll all keep our distance, I promise. <laughs> Which is exactly what we did yesterday, David. We drove across the suburbs to Port Melbourne and get some beer. It was only two suburbs, Travis. Two we suburbs. weren't going too far outside of what we might reasonably need to do to, to purchase our essentials. And drove in convoy. Exactly. Sure. Our cars were always at least 1.5 metres apart. I'm currently waiting on a delivery of some more essentials to the front door in the next hour or so. Ooh, half your luck. Tom, I can, I can see that you've got people circling in the pub behind you there in Zoom. So uh, to whoever you've let in the front door needs to be attended to. So thank you for your time this afternoon. And um, hopefully all of our listeners will go and check you out and say good day to Tom and, and let him know that you heard him on the podcast. Thanks, David. Thanks, Trav. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks again to Travis and Tom for being on the show today. And a little reminder that it means a lot to us if you can rate and review us on iTunes and also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 
And also don't forget, if you'd like to share your podcast with our listeners, get in touch and send us a 30-second ad for your pod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with another episode really soon.